I think we are live. Hi and welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in and joining us here today for the very first Tech Talk Travel Collective MySpeed session, a live think tank that focuses on the meetings and events industry. And this is a series, so this is our very first one of this uh, entire series around the MICE sector. And the sessions we are hosting together with Great Hotels of the World, which is a leading representation company for independent upscale and luxury hotels, and one of our founding members here at Tech Talk Travel. My name is Leah Jordan, and uh, I'm super excited for this lead of discussion today here. And I'd like to introduce to you my wonderful co-host tuning in from, I hope I got that right, Lisbon in Portugal and not UK today, is Rita Machado, Vice President, Sales and Marketing at Great Hotels of the World. Hi, Rita. Hello, Leah. Good to Hi. be here. Thank you. Really excited as well. Well, we checked all the facts beforehand. Where are you based? Where are you tuning in from now? Is it uh, Lisbon or is it Lisbon, Portugal? Absolutely. Wonderful. So I guess you're having a sunny day too, as I have it here in Berlin. I'm tuning in from Hotel Big Mama, actually, in Berlin. So thank you for giving me the space to have a live session. And for everyone tuning in here and being with us now, uh, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate that. And we're looking forward to a very interactive session. So please be reminded to make use of the comment section. Let us know where you're tuning in from, say hi to us, and also make sure to share your remarks and questions with us. Um, Andre Bayeu, my partner and co-founder of Tech Talk Travel, um, is in the um, back of the house and will take care of the comments and make sure we cover them if I miss any of them. So also, if you post the questions, make sure to tag the person it's for. So if we can't for any reason cover them today, we can make sure to go back to them at a later stage. And that's, I think, enough for the housekeeping. I hope I didn't forget anything. So, Rita, let me quickly introduce our two panelists joining us for this session. We're super delighted to have them joining us today here and sharing their insights with us. Um, and please meet um, Christy White, Vice President of Product Management at Noland, which is a... Uh, hi, Christy. Hi. We're <laughs> in from the US. Um, it's yes. early morning with you so thank uh, you it's, it's late morning it's 11 a.m for us so oh, that's the second coffee break is it yes exactly <laughs> perfect for fact, everyone. yes <laughs> oh nice yeah that's what we're missing like nice cups with the mice Christy, thank you so much. For everyone that's not familiar with Noland, I think most of the people in the mice sector definitely know what you're doing. But for everyone who isn't, um, Noland is the leader in the AI-powered group business data for hotels, convention, and any other meeting uh, venues. And clearly, you are advocating for a proactive group sales strategy. And I guess you are also a great partner in um, empowering anyone that's interested in getting a proactive sales strategy on the road. Um, so thank you, Christy. And then, thank you. And from the UK, from London, we have Luke Stevenson joining us. Hello. Hi, How Luke. are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. And Luke is Regional Sales Manager at Encore. Many will know them as the formerly known um, PSAV, a global leader for technology in the event and uh, event and meeting space, and also with a um, great expertise in support in terms of service and production services. So thank you, Luke. I think we have a perfect combination here. Um, as we move forward, before we dive right into it, and a short reminder again for everyone that's joining us now and dropping in after a few minutes, make sure to comment your questions and remarks. We really want to share them with the panelists and we want to make sure to cover them. If you can cover them, we will cover them afterwards. So please tag whoever the question is for. And by that, 
let's dive right into it, Rita. What are we looking forward to for the next 45 minutes? Well, hello, everyone. Welcome again to our first Collective Mice talk. Um, Christy will share some insights on where we are now in terms of meetings and events globally, excluding Europe. So that will point the way for us, help us see where we're going in the future, especially in Europe, and also the implications of this new reality of hybrid and virtual meetings, which come to complement our traditional face-to-face -face meetings. And then we've got Luke from the technology and consulting area, and I purposely use both because I think it's really a lot more than technology, it's knowledge. And um, Luke will show us how uh, hybrid and virtual events are moving forwards, especially in the UK, what clients require from the meeting planners and agency side, and also how hotels are handling these requests. And hopefully, with everyone involved and with our contribution, we can spark some lively discussion because otherwise this would be a one-way session, which really isn't what we're here for, is it? So um, I would hand over to Christy um, to give us a picture of what's happening. So if um, if Andre can share my, my, my slides. So we're gonna kind of go through this. Um, and I'm a numbers girl, and you know, there are some of you that probably actually know me from prior uh, my prior lives. But you know, early in quarantine, there was a meme going around saying we're all in the same boat. But that's not really strictly tr true when you get right down to it. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Some of us are in yachts, some of us are in dinghies that have a hole in it, and we're bailing the water out. So as we look at this, the best way to sort of kind of get to this is to look at it from a numbers perspective, because at the end of the day, I freely admit that I'm a big giant numbers girl and that's the way it is. So we're gonna kind of move forward and I apologize because I have two screens and one unfortunately is behind me. So we're gonna start where all of this begins and it's in Asia Pacific. And looking across the past three years, so we're looking at the occupancy by month from Smith Travel, the region hit their low point fairly quickly and then began to rebound. And looking at this from a pure year over year comparison, is still a bit frightening. So I actually prefer to look at this as a measure of capture. How much of the 2019 occupy, uh, uh, occupancy has the market regained? So it's a very simple metric to calculate. You can calculate it on your own. It's um, the current occupancy divided by the, the, the 2019. So whatever the current years, we're in 2021, divided by the occupancy in that same month represented as a percentage. And the region hit their high mark in September with a 75.6% of 2019 demand recaptured. And that's a pretty nice metric, all things considering going on. However, in the last three months of the year, those numbers slipped a bit. They did go back into a few lockdowns. Some of that intra-region um, travel was, was put on suspension. So they did slip back. But from a capture metric number, as you look at it, at the end of December, or December, their capture was 73.3%. Still a very, very strong metric. And year to date, they're sitting at 62%. Um, so they did have a little bit of a slide back, but they're actually, March, if you look at that number, that's actually has already rebounded to 70% of 2019 demand. So they are starting to pick back up and we're seeing that both from an occupancy perspective and we're seeing that in the group numbers as well. As we move forward and kind of uh, move across the, the globe, we'll move into the Middle East. Um, and the Middle East has a slightly different story because they actually fared somewhat similarly. They peaked in December though, rather than earlier in the year with a 62.6% capture. And January was even a little higher at 70%. 
However, at the beginning of the year, you know, starting in February, they had a little bit of a fall off due to some additional restrictions. But what's interesting is that a, a market does not necessarily represent, or a region does not represent a, necessarily represent a full market. And you're gonna see this repeated um, in the US as well. So as we look, you know, looking at those markets, now we move in and start to look at Dubai as a whole. And Dubai is a little bit different of a story. They fared vastly better than the region as a whole. They peaked in December with an 84.3% capture of, of 2019 demand. January through March softened a bit, but year to date for 2021, they're at 83.2% demand capture. Um, we'll see these numbers begin to stabilize quite a bit as they ease up a little bit on some of their restrictions, especially on the size of meetings. But you can begin to see how a region is not necessarily representative of what individual markets are doing. And these guys are definitely on the road to recovery and need to start leaning into that as they move forward. Stepping into the United States, you get some of that same picture that you saw from the Middle East and also from, from the Middle East and Africa. So the numbers are similar to APAC in the Middle East. By December of last year, the market as a whole had recaptured 65.7 of uh, 2019 demand. January, February, and March, however, built on that with the U.S. sitting at 68.2% capture for 2019. And in March, actually had a 71.1% capture. So those numbers are definitely moving in the right general direction. And then as we take a look at individual markets within the United States, it gets, it, we begin to see an even different story. So as we look at Miami, which is one of our top markets, is in our top 25 markets, just as with Dubai, this market is faring vastly better. So Miami was only at a 59.9% capture in March. Uh, in January, uh, sorry, in December, but January and March exploded. And now the market is sitting at 83.5% capture rate. Some of this was driven by spring break in the United States. Florida is one of those markets that has uh, sort of announced itself open for business. And this particular market is doing extraordinarily well. And it's not all leisure transient business that's driving it. They're seeing a lot of groups going into this particular market. What's really interesting is the makeup of this market as a general rule is heavily, heavily dependent on international travel. It's one of our major gateway cities. So typically they're very dependent upon South American travel and that travel's all shut down. So this is all intra-country travel that's driving this occupancy in Miami. On the opposite side of this spectrum, and this is the market that's not doing as well, despite what the US as a whole might be doing, and that's looking at New York. And New York is actually the most dynamic, one of the most dynamic markets in the world. Also extraordinarily dependent upon that gateway travel, international travel in order for it to recover. And as you can see, it's doing vastly worse than Miami is. From a capture perspective, in December, they were only at 29.1% of the capture. And year to date, they're only sitting at 35 the highest they've actually gotten throughout all of this is on just shy of 40% capture. And that actually occurred in March. That market is beginning to reopen. They're easing off the restrictions. However, the market was very heavily hit with infection rates. So there's a little bit of fear for travelers to come back in there. And actually, if I were a betting woman, New York and San Francisco are the two markets in the United States that will recover dead last. They've had the heaviest restrictions and they were most heavily hit by infection rates. Um, at the height of the COVID pandemic. Now, as we move into Europe. So um, Europe is not quite the happy story that we've seen in other regions of the world. In the early fall, Europe was looking like it was well on the way to recovery. The region peaked at 48.2% in September. 
However, those additional lockdowns and travel restrictions brought those numbers down with, the Dece with December hitting 25.7% capture rate. And the region as a whole perked up a bit in January, hitting 34.8% capture, but March and February and March did drop down. So as bad as this might look, and especially if you're comparing it to the numbers that we just saw, what we're actually seeing in key markets inside of Europe is a little bit more frightening and closer to those New York numbers that we saw. So as we look into, oops, sorry, London specifically, oh, actually Berlin specifically, um, the numbers get a, even a little bit scary. And actually, this is the good news in, in our slides. Berlin, Berlin peaked with 47.9% capture. And then those lockdowns pulled the numbers down again with December hitting at 12.9%. On the plus side, January, February, March have increased slightly. However, there's still a long way to go. Um, one of the things that I do want to point out here is in those January, February numbers that we're seeing those climb back up. That's indicative that this is a market that's going to recover very quickly once those travel restrictions and lockdowns begin to ease. We've seen it in most of the major markets in the United States. It's like a light switch is flipped and things pick up very, very quickly. So it is something that hotels are going to need, need to be prepared for. Looking into London, um, they never picked up as much as Berlin did. Its peak was in September with 33.6% capture. And January showed good signs, but then February and March dropped back into the teens. And again, that's all related to those lockdowns and restrictions that are, that are going on. Stepping a little bit deeper in, starting to look at Paris, the, big, the bigger markets. Um, Paris is in much the same boat as London. Their highest capture metric was January of this year at 34.9%. So it looked like they were going to start off the year very strong. strong. Unfortunately, February and March dropped back into the teens. Um, and then as we step forward into our last particular market, now we're going to actually go take a look at Rome very quickly. And Rome's actually a little bit worse off than the other three markets. They are very worse than most of the key markets. Again, January was the peak of capture at 256 but now they're back into team, the teens. And I know this has all been a bit of gloom and doom, and, and Leon and the team said, please be, be optimistic. Yeah. Um, but, but I actually am a little bit. For, Europe did fall further than the other three market, uh, three major regions and is yet to regain those capture rates that the other regions are on journey. Part of this is the nature of travel in the region and how countries lock borders. In China, even you know once things eased off after those first three months, there was still intra-region travel allowed for the most part. The Middle East had much the same. And in the US, we're mostly free to travel from state to state without restrictions. For Europe, however, between the multiple lockdowns and the inability for travelers from other countries to enter uh, other countries, you're definitely in a smaller, leakier boat. But as we move forward, um, here's some things that you'll want to keep in mind. And, and most of that is around meetings and what we've seen around the world. For the most part, as we think about group, we think about large groups. So groups above 300 people. However, as we delved into our data, what we found is that's not what really drives the industry and it's pretty specific around the globe. So as we look into Asia Pacific, um, the Asia Pacific, the numbers stay, and all of these numbers stay relatively similar, just a little bit of drops here and there. In 2019, meetings under 100 people only made up 68.4% of the events. Larger events only make up 2.6% of the events. As the region has recovered, those numbers have grown in the smaller category with meetings under 100 making up 72.7% of the volumes. So we actually don't need those big meetings to, to come for the recovery to come. It's going to come in those smaller pieces and we're seeing that across the globe. 
looking into the Middle East, um, in 2019, 59% of the meetings were under 100 and 5% over 1,000. But these numbers have come up fairly, fairly dramatically with 78.7% of the meetings falling in that under 100 catalog, uh, category in the Middle East specifically. Looking into the United States, it's the same thing. 62% were in those smaller categories through the first three months of the year. That's now at 72.7% of the events. And what makes this nice as we look into this is that's where those, those small in, inside your country, that's the types of meetings that are going to come back. So even if you don't have those travel restrictions where people can travel between countries freely, there's still going to be demand inside your own country that will help drive that MICE business back in, into the market once things ease up just a little bit. Looking into Europe specifically, I don't have current numbers because we're not currently reading in Europe. Um, it's even a little bit better news for you guys because in 2019, 81.5% of the meetings that we, we, we witnessed fell into that under 100 people category. So those are, that's a really good news for the region is those, again, those meetings tend to be very tight from a geographic perspective. So people within, uh, within travel country, once uh, those travels are listed, you're still gonna be able to get those meetings. Stepping into it from a market segment for thing that we market segment, we've actually seen the only shift we've specifically seen, and it's across all regions, is the retraction uh, or contraction of association and government business. Corporate is still leading the way as one would expect, but Smurf has picked up fairly dramatically. And in some markets, not as much in the Asian market, but as you get into the Middle East, oops, sorry, it helps if I move those forward. My apologies. As we get into the Middle East, you can actually see the wedding business has picked up very fairly uh, dramatically. And as we step into the U.S., you see that same trend continuing. And what we've discovered from talking with clients is that people have just decided to stop postponing joy. But the other thing is, is that where they might have had them at other venues or they may have had them in a backyard or different places like that. They're choosing to have those events in hotels so that they have someone else who's responsible for the, the cleanliness. So that's something that we've done is we've had those duty of care standards in place. We've actually attracted that business into our hotels. So it's a very nice thing to, to look into. And then looking into Europe and those 2019 numbers, what you actually see is 82.5% of that particular business fell in the corporate. Um, Smurf and wedding were significantly smaller. I'm gonna go back for just a second to one slide. I did wanna point in here, I said earlier that um, government was was falling behind. In the United States, we're not currently experiencing that. We did experience that very beginning in recovery. What we're actually now seeing is a little bit of resurgence in, resurgence in the government business. And it's strictly because um, our vaccination efforts are being led by FEMA, which is part of the federal government. So that's driving a lot more business. They're renting space in larger hotels and convention centers in order to be able to push as many shots as humanly possible. I live in the Dallas, um, Texas area. We actually have two facilities in the area that are do it, delivering up to 10,000 shots per day um, and it's seven days a week. So that's what's driving that government number there. Now, now as we kind of move forward and start looking at this of how as a region, despite the, the numbers and how sad those, those might make you feel, how we as a region can begin to move forward. And I've got six takeaways for you guys. I'm just gonna go ahead and bring them all up so I don't have to keep looking back at the screen. And you know, it's been a bit of gloom and doom, but as those travel restrictions ease, there are things your sales teams can prepare for. And the first one is that small meetings will lead the way back. When the US, Asia, and the Middle East first started to, record, uh, to recover, on average, the meetings were 15 to 20 people. 
but the meeting space was twice as large as what it typically was. So be prepared that you're gonna have people looking for, for small meetings with larger space. Um, what other regions have seen is that these meetings often book on the same call they inquire. So having a person who can book a meeting on staff during business hours, and that's not seven days a week, business hours Monday through Friday is absolutely vital because they're not calling to get quotes, they're calling it and if you have the space, they're booking it in the same call. Comp sets are not going to lead you out of recovery. Over the past 15, 20 years, we have lived and died by our comp sets. But during times of disruption, business shifts up, down, sideways. You might be a luxury hotel competing with a select feature hotel. If you aren't looking everywhere, you won't know until it's too late. So now's the perfect time to dust off those SWOT analysis and redo them. Broaden them to be more inclusive, be brutally honest so you can understand where and why an account might be shopping around. One thing I have enjoyed in for watching in Europe is the lack of discounting. You guys have been phenomenal with rate integrity. And as a former revenue manager, I will tell you, it makes my happy little heart sing. Um, <laughs> you've actually recognized that discounting is not going to drive you back. There have actually been a handful of markets in Europe that have grown rate year over year. So, you know, that's the only, re that's, it's one of those things that make, gives me a lot of hope for Europe because I believe it's the only region that figured that out. Discounting was not going to help. And as recovery comes, if you hold onto this, it's going to actually help you recover financially faster. Um, the second thing that we've seen, and we see this in all the data around the, the globe, is that bookings have already shifted and will continue to shift. In the U.S. last summer, 90% of all bookings occurred within, seven, within 30 days, with 70% of those happening within four days. This has shifted and it's lengthened, but not by much. We're talking going from 30 days to 60 days uh, for groups and 30 days to 45 days for transient. So it's not shifting too terribly much. Um, be careful of this, especially as it pertains to rate management. Rate RFPs aren't going to return for a long time. And I know Europe, for the most part, was never as wholly um, beholden to RFPs as the U.S. was, but they're not coming back anytime soon. So knowing your accounts and understanding their entire book of business, not just those individual transactions, is going to make your hotel virtually recession-proof. People do business with people they know, and it's a great way to prevent your hotel from being treated like a commodity. Looking at business as a one-and-done transaction is death by a thousand cuts. Right now, there might not be a lot of meetings or groups happening, but each one should be treated as an opportunity to land a whale. If your salespeople aren't thinking that way, find salespeople who do. And then lastly, difficult times require nimble people. Celebrate your wins as they come in and recognize that what is a win today might not have been a win a year ago or two years ago. Evaluate what you're doing and its level of success. If you're going to fail, choose to fail fast. And we're all going to fail. That's just fact. And then try all over again. It's going to take multiple tries. But when you hit that winning formula, you're going to know it. Um, and finally, recovery will come. And it will come much quicker than you think. Savvy hoteliers are already prepared and have put together the teams they, and tools they need to attack the moment green shoots appear. Now's the time to build that action plan and be ready to launch it. In the U.S., the major brands are already predicting that demand will outstrip the supply this summer. Europe might be a bit off from that, but revenge travel is a real thing. Once travel restrictions um, lift, between countries lift, prepare for that onslaught of, of demand because it's going to come very quickly. And that is my dog and pony show. <laughs>
<laughs> and I, I right want to add a question from the audience. We actually have two questions. I'm not sure um, you touched upon them a bit. So um, I want to get this first from Pedro Colaco, um, CEO of Great Hotels of the World and Guest Centric. Thank you, Pedro, for joining us and handing in the question. I actually know him. Yeah. <laughs> interested in uh, to dive a bit deeper regarding the smaller meetings and he's asking the meetings of size 0 to 25 what mm -hmm. the average size is of those meetings and what has changed and you mentioned already there is um, smaller groups but more space in relation to yes. amount of people to square meters is there anything else you could add um, that's been the biggest thing. So from square footage, because I don't have the square meters in my head, mm -hmm. I have the square footage in my head, but I can't do that math that quickly. Um, yeah. From a square footage beforehand, we were seeing that zero to 25 was typically in four to 600 square feet. And now we're seeing that in a thousand to 1500 square feet. Um, and, and we've, I mean, it's pretty standard across things. We're seeing meetings with 50 people in 3000 square feet of meeting space. So it's, um, we're gonna see that now in the US at least as we've sort of loosened, our CDC has come out and said that six feet might not be the magical number, four feet might be enough. So as that's sort of taking hold, we're beginning to see those sizes come down, right. but not as quickly as you would have thought. And I think some of that is a liability perspective that companies are still just erring on the side of caution. Um, one thing I will say with hotels is that means you're gonna need to go back and completely redo what your revenue models look like around your meeting space. And one thing that I hope we come out of this, this whole thing with is that we stop giving away meeting space and we lead in with meeting space has a charge and then we, we, we bounce back from that. I don't know if it was the same in Europe, in the United States, salespeople would go in, hey, if you put us, if you get me 50 rooms for this space, we'll give it to you for free. I mean, it was just, that was their, their go-to. I would have rather said, hey, if you got 50 rooms, it's normally $10,000 a day. We'll knock that down to $5,000 a day because meeting space rental is 90% profit for hotels. Um, so I, that is something that I think every hotel is going to have to go back in and figure out what are those metrics to comp space? Are we even going to comp space anymore? Because that, that bigger space, I think, is here to stay for a while. Right, understood. And Luke, would you um, would you say that that fits with what you observe in UK, especially, or the countries in Europe you're operating? Yeah, absolutely. I I have to agree with everything Christy said there. Uh, particularly, what struck a note was the the small wins feeling like huge milestones. You know, having having gone through a really dark period, um, any event that we've been able to win and partner with with customers has felt like a huge success for us. Uh, um, looking back at the numbers, September, it certainly felt like in, in the UK, I think having had a, perhaps what could be called a premature reopening. Um, September, it felt like the inquiries were starting to come through slightly. Um, but then obviously with the second um, lockdown, the brakes were put on pretty quickly and all of those inquiries quickly went away. Um, and, you know, where we are now, uh, luckily, and, I, and quite surprisingly for me, uh, our vaccination program seems to have gone incredibly well in the UK. Um, and of course, our government has set out some key dates for event planners. So all of that has helped drive, I think, some some confidence and a little bit of, of uh, time for event planners to sort of set some key dates. And that has meant a huge uplift in inquiries, particularly for the UK. Uh, social events having moved and been cancelled, weddings have exploded, uh, corporate hybrid event inquiries for, for Q3, Q4 have, have been phenomenal, 
Um, a real mixed bag, to be honest with you. Some highly speculative, some customers not knowing what they want, some of them not even having a date set, but you know, asking for sort of pricing options. Others a little bit more concrete. So, you know, a real mixed bag. Um, I've got some slides. If you'd like me to run through yeah. those now, I can I can quickly uh, talk a little bit about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, Michael, on that, um, I unfortunately will say in Europe, I think you're probably 2023 20, before that comes back. But in the U.S., um, I was on a call two weeks ago. Vegas is saying their goal by June one is to be 100% open with no restrictions whatsoever. In the U, um, in some of the major markets, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, that we've already seen events with five, six hundred people that are happening. So I actually think that one's going to in certain markets in the US, we're going to get there probably by the end of the year. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting to watch. I don't know that I'm going to be attending those events. <laughs> well, I'm actually fully vaccinated now, so I probably would attend those events. But yeah, that's that that is where some of the bigger markets they're already saying, you know, we're open for business, bring it, we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, Christy, why um sorry, but why why do you think then that the association market is is the slowest to kick off? It's sixteen thirty. The size of the events. Um, um, it's not, it could be a little bit of that, but it's also because that is usually discretionary income. Yeah. So companies saying, yes, we'll send this person off to that association annual meeting for continuing ed. And now those companies are saying, we're not going to pay yeah. for that. If you want to go pay for it out of your pocket and you got to take vacation. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be companies freeing up that cash to say, we'll pay for your T&E. We'll pay for your registration and all of that. And I just don't think companies are there yet. And that's what's holding it. We see actually see that in every economic downturn, not just within um, uh, a, a, in a global pandemic. I think associations are going to do probably the best from a hybrid perspective uh, to adapt to that because they are dependent upon those revenues. So if they can do a smaller meeting but still collect a boatload of revenues from hybrid attendees, they're going to. Absolutely. Right. So, I just wanted to get Michael's questions answered. No, thank you. And thank you, Michael C. Cohen, for joining us and uh, providing the question. And Luke, would you agree with what Christy just said? Also for the European market, what would you say is the consensus in Europe for a plus thousand attendees events to come back? Yeah, well, from a, from a UK perspective, certainly the end of the year, um, we're hoping to get back to that. We keep being reminded that the government's going to be looking at the data and not the dates, but they have set <laughs> out... <laughs> they have set out that the 21st of June will be when we kind of allow um, larger events to happen, but with reduced capacity, capacity. so like 50% of their usual capacity. But certainly, I think events up to 1,000, we can hope to have to see those back Q3, Q4, um, if everything goes to plan. Fingers fully crossed for that. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll do both hands because I feel like you need all the finger crossing. Yeah, I have mine. I have mine. <laughs> then, uh, of course, it's, it's important to say as well, though, I think that, you know, when you're looking at regions in, in mainland Europe where perhaps the numbers are going in the opposite direction. There's, there needs, there's probably some buffer that needs to be happening. But um, certainly the UK, we're hoping for the end of the year. Yeah. Well, but thank you for saying mainland on, Europe. Thank on you. The, on the, the news in the US this weekend is. Uh, June 1, Greece is open to U.S. travelers as long as you've been vaccinated. And as it, and then I heard later that Europe is going to do the same thing. As long as yeah. you're fully vaccinated, the doors are open. Come on over. 
Yeah, thanks yeah. very much. I think solely on that, right, on the vaccination and how this yes. is moving forward. So, and Luke, before we dive into your slides, because I know you have very um, insightful data for us as well about UK and later on about hybrid events. There's a few more questions, and if you don't mind, let's just run through them. It might be good to answer them now. So, there's one question from Gregor Rummel. Gregor Rummel, I hope I pronounce your name right. If not, uh, my apology. Unfortunately, <laughs> you can see your position and company. Um, so everyone who is in the session, please make sure to connect with Gregor so you find out about him. And he's asking, and I will pose this question to both of you, maybe your answer from a US and a UK, um, Europe angle. Um, will business meetings have more leisure content as numbers will um, be smaller? And also keeping in mind that leisure drives confidence in traveling overall. Maybe ladies first, Christy, for you. Okay, so um, I, I think smart meeting planners will do that um, mm -hmm. because there's that, that, I think the line, that leisure line is completely blurred now. In the US, when we, before kids went back to school, you saw a lot of parents that the dad had to go somewhere, the mom or dad had to go somewhere on the business and the whole family went because as long as the kids had internet, um, they, could be, they could be anywhere, the school didn't care. So I do think that that's something that's coming. I will tell you in the United States, we're seeing resort business just exploding. Um, so you are starting to get that because there are more outdoor activities to do. They feel like they can do meetings in a more safe capacity and they're doing a really good job of capturing that, that package component to say, hey, you're here for the meeting that's three days, stay an extra three days with your family and extend this into a, a, you know, a business trip, a leisure trip as well. So I do think that's going to become much more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the much more vital as we go forward. Um, and having, I would also say this from a, uh, from a meeting collective, if you've got things that you can do outdoors that the attendees can do, that also opens up a different level of safety. Right. Luke, what would you say? Yeah, for yeah I'd have to agree. I think if you can add that outdoor element, I think everyone's going to feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, why not? If they can, if the two can be combined together, then then that'd yeah. be that would be that'd be great, yeah. I guess. Just, yeah. just to chime in here, we've seen even from the inquiries that we've had this year to date that um, the agencies proactively ask about the leisure element of the hotels, and in fact, obviously, we've told our hotels to review all their content, and even their their meeting. Um, you know, meeting requests and general proposals, it's a whole different way of doing business. Um, you don't, you shouldn't wait for the agency or the meeting planner to ask you. you. You really should push it forwards and out because it's not just revenge travel of a certain type. It's making up for lost time that we all lost out over the last 18 months. So um, we've certainly seen uh, agencies and meeting planners more interested in the leisure aspect. And as Luke says, the outdoor. I think the whole, the name meeting venue, you know, meeting room is out. We talk about venues because our restaurants are venues, mm. our halls are venues, our verandas are venues, our gardens are venues. Um, right. And so it, it's a whole different way of looking at our hotel. And as Christy was saying, a brutal SWOT analysis could actually be hey, we've got amazing venues that we didn't really know we had, we didn't use them as venues. We, right. we were limited to our meeting room sometimes. So definitely there are opportunities for pleasure. All right, then we have a last question and it's, it's a bit um, 
like not off topic, but it, I think it opens up another gate. And so I don't want to dive in too deep, but it would be nice to cover it uh, briefly. And it's about um, demand generation in a digital way, right? So if you look at the aggregator platforms or RFP platforms out there, um, there was a lot of talk pre-pandemic about uh, instant booking of mice um, um, requests, etc. And Ravish uh, Yala um, from VCNS Global in India is asking, what will be your views on the meeting aggregator platforms? Will they able Will they be able to boost and add reach to emit in smaller segments of meetings? What do you think is the is your take on that? And Luke, what do you observe from your perspective here? Um, it's a bit of a tricky one for me. It's not really my my area of expertise, to be honest. Right. Um, so I'll let Christy deal with this one if you don't mind. <laughs> um, so you know, if you're talking about Ooh. aggregators like RFP platforms, I. Yeah. I I don't think that's coming back anytime soon because I think the nature of small meetings, they're just not going to go through the hassle of that. They're going to pick up, the, it's going to be Susie at the local office who's going to pick up the phone and call Janet at the local hotel because she knows Janet. Um, you, the RFP process tends to happen when you're aggregating all of your meetings into a central place and you've got professional meeting planners or someone who serves in that role and you're doing bigger meetings. But when it's down to that 30 or 40 person meeting, it, that's a headache to get into when you can just pick up the phone and call someone or drop a quick email to someone. So I think that's going to, to happen. But Leah, you had an interesting thing is the instant booking. Because I think that hotels do that exceptionally, that do that well. There is a component to that because now Susie can just go on the computer and see is the space that she wants available, book it, put her credit card in, do everything, and you save it time on the other side for the hotelier as well. Um, so that's something I think, I don't think we've, it's out there. No one has taken really good advantage of it. Uh, and now it's probably a really good time to start testing the waters on that because we're going to have smaller staffs coming back. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think some hotels probably got a little bloated with their staff. And now might be a good time to find out who their super sellers are and then augment that staff with automation. Yeah. All right. So you, you, what you're saying is uh, don't ignore that area totally, but look at the uh, bookability of smaller meetings and have yeah. it have your availability also like so that someone can book it through, right? If it's in yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. competitive, 20, right? 20 years right. ago, who would have thought that people would have booked all their travel online? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we're at that, that tipping point where our meeting space might become that same way. Well, but in Europe, I think there was pre-pandemic, there was like, at least I was in a network that was very convinced that it's becoming a standard. Mm -hmm. And I know many people that book like smaller meetings, like instant if they can, which is right. still not often yes. everywhere, right? Um, but well, yeah, that's, I think that's a topic for another whole session, that's I think. That's a whole other conversation. Yes. Yeah. We'll put that on the list and maybe we have that in the next MySpeed sessions. I think that's a very interesting topic and it's a bit more complex uh, than yeah. just to say, yeah, it's working or not working. So Luke, how about you, um, you take us into the uh, operational like um, perspective. So we talk a lot about events. By the way, Luke. Yeah, me too. And I mean, Rita is a super fan because she said, um, someone from Encore, Rita, how was that? You said they gave the perfect example for a hybrid event. Yes, I think it's it's the perfect way into hybrid events to actually all of us get our heads around it. And, um, and the example was when you attend a football match on television, you are attending a hybrid event. You're taking part in a hybrid event. You're shouting, screaming with your beer probably, but you are at a hybrid event because other people are physically at the event. You are somewhere else. It doesn't mean to say you don't take part and the event is there anyway. 
So I think really we, we just need to hold on to that um, because we probably do a lot more hybrid events than we realize. Over yeah, to you, Luke. Exactly right, Rita. And I think the, the important thing to remember is that even though there's two very separate audiences there, they're, they're still attending the same event. The, the, the platform is television. Um, you know, the, the people on, on, on site at the match, they've got the atmosphere, the food and beverage, they can see the play happening in front of them. People at home perhaps have the benefit of instant replays, choosing their own camera angles. And I think even though they're two very different experiences, they don't need to be any less impactful than the other, which is the real, I think if that's, if, if event planners can grasp that concept, then, then, then they're definitely on the right track. Um, so I'll talk through some of these slides really. Um, it's a little bit of practical considerations for both the sort of event planner and the, uh, the hotel or venue. Um, we've, we've, I've said earlier, we, we saw a huge uplift in inquiries throughout the UK since the uh, roadmap of uh, out of lockdown was set out. And I think given the nature of some of those inquiries, I think it's fair to say that there is a large knowledge gap that needs to be filled. Uh, <laughs> there's a huge educational piece happening around hybrid right now for event planners and for venues. I think my best piece of advice would be to work with a partner who's going to guide you through all the options. Um, most importantly, though, it's all about understanding the needs of the event. And this has always been um, it's always been the case, but in perhaps now more important than ever. And we've given a huge amount of thought into what makes a, a successful hybrid event. So we came up with these six key drivers. Um, we feel that if event planners and venues can master the basics, then they're they're really going to be on the right track. So I'll just talk you through some of these. But before hybrid really became a thing, when planning an event, we needed to think about things like the content. So that's the agenda, the presenters, the key messaging. Then there was the physical environment. So that's the choosing the right location and services that you need. There's the production and how you manage the event, which includes the AV. And then, of course, there's the travel and how to get there. <laughs> with hybrid there's now suddenly a lot more to think about so there's the platform what level of engagement do you need what platform capabilities should you have do you need heat maps do you need polling then there's the experience that you're creating does it need to be simple and functional or does it need to be ultra professional with some wow factor do we need a green screen should it be a studio there's the cameras the lighting the backdrop um, are people presenting from home? And if they are presenting from home, what's their lighting like? Um, there's the content. The content's more complex now because we've got the physical and the digital content. Should there be different content for different audiences? Connectivity also comes into play. Do you have the bandwidth that you need? Where are the presenters located? Are they all on site? Are they dialing in? The idea is that hybrid events can be fully scalable. They don't need to be expensive, and there's a solution out there for everybody. But how do we decide? Well, if you have a high number of remote delegates and a long meeting, then you're going to need more platform capabilities and more engagement tools. If the purpose of the meeting is about reconnecting, then you're going to want to focus more on the physical environment, the food, the drinks, and perhaps less focus on the platform. If it's a product launch, you're going to need more on the experience, more impact, 
more content, more branding. Um, so for event planners, the key really is to think about how you vary these elements to come up with the right blend of hybrid for your event. So while restrictions on travel and uh, movement remain in place, right now we're seeing smaller groups coming back together, small face-to-face -face meetings with larger groups online. Now, venues should be thinking that the boardroom is no longer exclusively for boardroom meetings. You have the potential now to reach hundreds or potentially thousands of remote participants from this small space. So is it time to start thinking differently about how to sell that space? From an event planner's perspective, um, at one end of the scale, this could be a single laptop on a webcam. Or at the other end of the scale, solutions can be in, uh, enhanced by maxing out on the tech. More microphones, more camera angles, more lighting. And then with connectivity, it's the same thing. Connectivity can be achieved with a, a cloud solution like Zoom or Teams for something simple. Or for something more high quality, we can elevate the professionalism with a custom-built platform that's operated by crew in the background. So there really is a solution out there for everybody. It's about finding the right solution depending on the type of event you're organizing. And I think in terms of venue considerations, well, uh, first and foremost, a robust, stable, and secure network is going to be key. Um, we can also expect customers to start demanding dedicated IT and network support perhaps even access to comms rooms. So it would be wise to think about having trained staff on hand and perhaps even considering bolstering your network security. Um, what is the future of hybrid? Well, um, this is a photo taken from a recent uh, town hall event that we did in our NEA region. We had a lot of staff all around the region that had been separated for a very long time, all working from home. We wanted a creative way to kind of bring them everybody back together. And um, we wanted to have some live interaction with our presenters on stage that you can see there. Um, this is the kind of feature that we're seeing a lot of television in the moment, in a lot of TV style productions. And we're really noticing that corporate event production is starting to align more and more with the TV style um, production. Um, here's another great example of how we bring people together at the moment. So a very similar concept, but not only does this bring people together, I think from a, uh, it helps from a presenter's perspective to know that there are actually people out there. Um, it's quite disconcerting as a presenter sometimes simply talking to a camera and not really benefiting from any of that natural interaction. Um, I some of the the feedback and the cues that you get from a live audience. So I think uh, future of hybrid, we can see this. I think uh, large media walls where we bring in the remote participants like this, I think it's, it's going to really add to the sense of occasion. And I think we're going to see a lot of this in the future. Um, and then hopefully when travel starts to resume and we start to reopen and we start to plan these large scale events that we all want to get back to, I think we can start to see huge steps being made in things like uh, augmented reality and immersive content. Um, and I know that that probably all sounds quite expensive, but I think as new, new needs are met, solutions are constantly evolving. Um, so more, as more and more products become available, I think uh, things will start to become more affordable in the in, in the, the high-end sort of event, event production world. 
that's kind of where we are at the moment. And I think the future of kind of hybrid, where it's, where it's, where it's sort of going. So Luke, I have a question for you. Do you, um, do you envision in, in the future, like going back to the question about association business, where groups may go, and I'm not talking about where a company's planning a meeting, where it's another entity planning a meeting and someone's paying to attend it, where they say, hey, we've got that. We're going to keep this hybrid component. We know travel is open. People can come. But we're also offering this hybrid component. And there are three price marks where you get to just see the general sessions, where you get to go into breakout rooms and things like that. And they revenue manage the opportunity. Do you think that's a, something that's going to come? Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be a big part. I think we're expecting hybrid to be here for a while. So I think I think hotels, venues and planners should embrace it. Um, I think, you know, as, as big corporates look at how they, you know, spend money and, you know, their travel budgets, they, they perhaps might not be as free spending as they were, particularly for the short term future. I think when when event budgets are going to be pretty limited. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I would I would expect hybrid to certainly be around for a long time, and um, and I think if, they, if there is an element of revenue management going around the different sorts of content that people are able to access, then that can only be a good thing. Yeah. And then, do you think that we'll get to a place? We've seen it a couple of times in the U.S. where it's one big event broken across four locations, and there's a hybrid event at different points, diff those meeting rooms might be presenting in person and you're just, everyone else is being transmitted to. Do you think companies or organizations may go to something like that rather than trying to bring a thousand people together, they do four 250 events in four different locations, which cuts down on travel cost as well? Absolutely, yeah. Connecting multiple sites is gonna be a key thing for the future as well. Um, it does all tie into to travel and, and movement of people and if people can, and of course also considerations given to sort of being more e ecologically friendly as well, I guess, you know, carbon sensitive. Um, you know, should we be traveling less? Should we be um, more mindful of how we, how, we, how, we, how we meet? And, you know, we certainly have the technology there to bring venues together. So why, why wouldn't we embrace that and use that? And, and you know, it's, it's advancing all the time. In, it's a very quickly changing landscape, but we can yeah. certainly bring bring multi-site uh, multi, multi -site venues together. Yeah, I mean, just, that looks like a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd just, just like to jump in here that we've already had inquiries within Europe um, with multiple sites, uh, agencies asking us because we're a collection of hotels there are about 60 hotels, mostly in Europe, and they see as an advantage to have a one-point um, contact to be able to facilitate um, several, the same meeting happening in three locations, for instance. So we're seeing that now for, for events happening in 2022. So, Luke, I, I would actually go further. I think hybrid is here to stay. I, I just... Yeah, I do too. I, I don't. Virtual and hybrid, for me, are now part of our lives, commercially as well. Um, I know we like to say, and we are a people industry, but I do think commercially our hotels have to embrace this in, in terms of commercial as well and sales and events and the way they sell to buyers and to corporates and to agencies. Face-to-face -face is obviously the preferred. No one, I don't think anyone doubts it, but um, you can definitely nurture relationships virtually if it's there um, if it's a true relationship that you've built, you can nurture it um, 
virtually. So, and I think meetings and events is, are going to be the same. And if you take weddings, um, the weddings market, surely you're going to have hybrid weddings. People who just can't make it face to face, surely they're going to want to attend partially at some point the event, the ceremony, the key point of the ceremony, see their friends and then leave after an hour. Surely it's better to have that than to have it the old way where it was either be there or be out. Right. Yeah, I mean, and we've, we've, think... we've been doing that for, for a long time now, you know, things like yeah. hybrid weddings and, yeah. um, you know, people that couldn't travel for whatever reason, um, they've, been, they've been streamed in and they've been able to participate. With his daughter got married, we, he lives in the States, his daughter lives in Canada, and we can't go to Canada. So that he and his wife dressed up on the Saturday morning and sat in, and then they had decorated like two chairs in their living room and had a pretty, it was their backyard was the background. And they sat like they were sitting in the pews in the church and watched the wedding. <laughs> it was the cutest thing. They posted pictures of them, like they, they were part of the wedding party. It was amazing. Yeah, it's amazing what technology can support here, right? And I mean, we've, it's also about scalability in the end then, because it, it shows you that you are not limited to only 80 persons to your wedding. You can actually have a wedding with all your friends. Um, but look, there's a pressing question, I think, for everyone that's not um, dived, that has not been busy with the topic of hybrid events. And something that keeps them away from that is probably always the factor of cost, right? So uh, I think a misconception here is, hybrid event is like TV production, it's like everything, a lot of technology. We need someone expert that takes care of everything. So there's a lot of cost yeah. factors. What would you say? Is that is that reality? Is it very expensive to have a hybrid event? Well, it's a great question. So thank you, Nick, for asking that one. Um, it's It doesn't have to be expensive. Of course, there are expensive options out there. Um, but I think as I touched on at the beginning of the slides, I think it's important to understand the objectives now more than ever. There are, of course, expensive solutions if you want that all singing or dancing production. But I always use the analogy and compare um, an internal sort of staff training event to a uh, customer sales conference, if you like. So on the one hand, you've got the event that can have a simple platform, um, simple in-room tech um, with perhaps a limited amount of participants online. You don't need to max out on the platform if you know if, if, if you've got limited in, uh, engagement time as well um, and then you compare that to an all singing or dancing conference where you might want to wow customers with a huge backdrop multiple camera angles that kind of thing so you've got those two extremes there but then of course then as, as to, to Nick's point um, of course you can start to allocate different parts of your budget so if you're not having to spend so, so much on bedrooms because you haven't got so many people coming in, then perhaps you can allocate more of that budget to either the in-room AV experience for the people who are on site, or if you've got long meetings and you need to keep people engaged, then perhaps pump more of the budget in towards your platform and go for something a little bit more bespoke. So there really is an option there for everybody. It really depends on what you're trying to achieve, who the online audience is, um, and there's a solution there for everybody. But that stays the same as before, right? You could have a very budgety event, but you can also have the top of the top. Yeah, event. and you and yeah. from on one extreme, you could have a small boardroom meeting with a handful of people attending, but um, with very limited AV inside the room. Because let's face it, you don't need to bring in huge amounts of AV into a small room if you don't need it. But you could, you know, spend all of your budget on a huge custom platform for with huge amounts of engagement tools. It could be personally branded. 
Um, and that's how you allocate the rest of your budget to, to, to suit the needs of the demand of the event, uh, catering for the people online. You've got most of your audience online and less people in the room. Yeah, right. And you see probably the question just came in, right, from Paolo Costa. And if we just stay a bit with the, with the cost structure or commercial angle of this whole thing. Um, regarding the hybrid events, that means most of the persons are not present. How can we have the revenue to justify the cost of the investment on tech? Or the partner that provides the tech. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question again. But again, it's about finding that solution that works. So if if you if you haven't got the on-site presence, then there are ways that you know budgets can be offset. Perhaps if you're reaching that huge audience online, people aren't coming to the event. Perhaps you've got sponsors, sponsorship opportunities. You know, there are sponsors out there who, who would look at your sort of uh, look at the the ROI reaching such a huge attendant, attendee list, and you know, be, they'd be licking their lips and wanted to be part of that. So, there are, there are ways that it can be done um, to justify that extra spend. I sure. want to take a slightly different spin on that question because the, I read it slightly differently. I read it: Why should the hotel invest in the it, the upgrade to their infrastructure to run that? Um, a, I think you needed to do it anyway because yeah, you're exactly. sitting in your room streaming movies and yeah. you know playing video games online. So you needed to make that investment. You need to have two separate areas too. You have the guest room internet and your, your meeting space internet so that the two don't mix. But the other thing I said earlier, I hope we get back to that we never give away meeting rooms. We need to stop giving away internet. You need to start yeah. asking those questions about how much bandwidth that you think that they're going to do. And that's where your revenue comes from. You're not, it's not going to cost you that much money to run the bandwidth, but you're charging them off for that bandwidth. So if that's so the 12 people in a meeting room that's going to be you know, pushing out to 1,200, maybe there's a meeting room rental. And on top of that, there's an internet fee for the bandwidth they're going to consume with that. So there are different revenue streams that we haven't even begun to untap. And those are conversations that we need to start having. But for me, the technology, the, the part that's going to run the hybrid meeting, that's the meeting planner that's doing that. You're not providing that tech. The meeting planner's upfronting that. And also, I think um, in that sense, and this brings us back to also what Christy said in the beginning, and certainly we're absolute passionate believers in partnerships. Um, and in our industry, we need very strong partners. And if we are operationally minded, we do need to get our head around technology. We should have got our head around technology 15 years ago. We never did, not properly. We still have what I call firemen, IT people in the hotel running around, fixing everyone's problems. And let's be I honest, know. they were only ever there to fix the, the hotel computers. Exactly. They weren't there to fix the guest computers. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hey, so, that dude knows how to fix my printer. Go send him over there to yeah. fix it. Exactly. Yeah, it's gonna, this is yeah. going to be con critical yeah. for a venue to consider that, that, that support that's going to be needed there, yeah. And that's where I think really strong partnerships come into play because, to be absolutely honest, I don't really think it's relevant for a hotel to invest massively in its own technology. I think it's what Christy says. You have the facilities and you have the ability to scale up. Yes, but for that, you just have to partner up with the right people. And then you bring in, well, people like Uncle who, who follow you from the proposal, um, the time when you need to send out that proposal and you need to know what you're talking about and how to ask the right questions. Um, as a hotel, you need to be able to know that. You don't need to be able to solve it. That's what these specialists are here for. And that's why I think, honestly, for hotels, the partnerships are critical at this point. 
um, it's 17 hours forward. That's but I do. Yeah. I think there's someone doing a time management yeah. course, which is great because. But <laughs> let's stay on a bit because we we have the time, right? And I think it's yes. it's, it's interesting to cover that. Um, we have another question though, and it's it's taking us a bit off topic now. We, we just talked about technology and about the partnerships, but um, I want to circle a bit back to what you said earlier, Christy, um, and you talked about um, the, the segments, right? That you did you have insights into? And let me just find a question from Tracy. Tracy, are you still with us? Thank you for joining. Ah, there the question is. Tracy, thank you for giving the question to us. And um, Christy, Christy, what would you say? Are you seeing a trend on specific indi industries that are returning? at a quicker pace than others yes. for meaning um, in, in the u.s and this this trend is continuing in asia pacific as well at the very beginning of recovery it was pharmaceuticals government was in there um we saw oddly a lot of law firms so that legal industry and the accounting industry and we did dive into that and it was because a lot of these companies weren't reopening their offices but they still had to have client meetings or meetings like with law firms with depositions so they, it was cheaper for them to pay for a meeting room and let the hotel take on responsibility of the duty of care than to bring to clean their offices, bring strangers in, and then have to reclean their offices. So that was really big right at the beginning of recovery. Now we've sort of settled into it in the top five industries that we see, healthcare, which is that with anyone that's shocked by that, I can't <laughs> believe you are, manufacturing, technology, training and education, because companies are getting back in there and getting their people trained. And then um, consulting and the financial sector are the, the two that, so the top five, those six bounce in and out of the top five, but always the top three, healthcare, technology, manufacturing. Right. Lou, do you, would you yeah. say it's the same that you're okay? Cool. I think right, you'd agree, you. yeah. And we've done yeah. a lot of um, financial events as well, so a lot of AGMs that had to go ahead. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, technology as well, I would agree with that. All right, cool. And then I have another question, and we touch upon now the hybrid events again, and that's a question, uh, another one from Pedro Colaco, and he's asking, it's very interesting to think about it as well. He says, so does that mean for normal events, will that allow always hybrid participants in the future? which will be a long-term change then to all the shows we know, for example, right, or fairs out there. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think, it, has, I think it has to be an offering, to be honest with you. It's here to stay. Um, I think it needs to be a consideration for, for all events moving forward now that we've got the technology. People's hands have been forced lately, but I think now that people are more open to it, they've dipped their toes in it, it will become part of normal event planning, for yeah. sure. Christy, a revenue manager heart, isn't that... Um, uh, well, I'm going I'm to split that hair just a little yeah. bit. So I think for large meetings, like where you're going to sit in the meeting room and there's content being delivered to you, absolutely, I think that's going to stay there. And then we're going to have to revenue manage that effectively. But it, he, the, where I'm splitting it is, Pedro mentioned trade shows. I can't imagine doing WTM um, or you know ATM or any of those in a hybrid environment because of the nature of how those shows work. You've got to physically be able to walk up and have the appointment or even just to be able to wander and see new technology that you think, God, I got to stop in and see this. I don't know how you would experience that in a hybrid event effectively. Um, so that's that's where I kind of split that. I think larger meetings. Yes, there'll be a hybrid component. I do think somewhere around the two year mark companies will start to scale back on it because we want people to be there. But there will always be a component of it. Yeah, right. we've got we've got ways of making those expo halls um, 
virtual. It, it's not the same experience, admit, admittedly, as being there in person. <laughs> there are ways to sort of set and interact, yeah. you know, set appointments, interact with, with, with stand owners and things like that. So it can be done. It's just a very different feel. Yeah. And then another thing I would add in there, and I'm a huge believer in this, is that when you attend meetings, it's not about the content that's being delivered. That's interesting. Yeah. But someone's inevitably going to stand up and they're going to ask a question. And that question is going to stimulate something in the back of your brain. And there's going to be a coffee break. And you're going to follow that, maybe stalk that person right. just a little bit over to the coffee break stand and grab them and ask a question. And, and that's ultimately where new ideas are born. And I don't care how good a hybrid event is. You can't grab a cup of coffee with someone who asked an interesting question in a hybrid event. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. So I think there comes a point as a species in order for us to grow and continue to move forward. We're going to have to get back to face-to-face. -to -face. Yeah. And also, I think, um, let, let's face it, part of travel, business travel, is taking a break from your day-to-day -day environment, cutting yes. it off, and, and actually creating space to think. Um, to think and to interact with like-minded people on an absolutely level playing field without your day-to-day -day distractions. And I don't know about you, but my best ideas come when I'm traveling because I have time to think, yes. whether it's in the car driving or when I'm on a business trip and I can effectively focus on that. But I agree the spontaneous human interaction is incredibly enriching and rewarding. And I've attended a couple of... Um, I wouldn't call them hybrid, they're virtual uh, trade shows with avatars and everything. And yeah, I think we've got a long way to go there, really. Yeah. Um, um, I also think, you know, there's also the multitasking factor that, you know, even if you are, you're paying attention, that email pops up and you're like, this will take me five seconds, I'll do it. Uh, and the next thing you know, 10 minutes have gone by and you're like, what they say? Did they just say what? <laughs> And there's no way to run that back. I, I, it's more, you're not going to do it when you're physically there in person before, because someone's observing you on your phone doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, my ADD opinion, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, but still, it sounds like there's, there's many opportunities in there, right? If you look at scalability and just facing the opportunities that hybrid events are offering us um, and well, I think everyone in our industry, at least, like from hospitality or the event space, would say that face-to-face -face is the best version of meeting someone, absolutely. So we're not going to let go on that aspect. Um, well, we've been together now for an, over an hour, and I could go on for hours with you guys. And there's many topics we touched upon um, that are worth diving deeper into. It is like, how does that change sales approach, right, in general? So something I catch from the conversation as well is it's not as transactional anymore. It's really about not only face-to-face, -face, but building relationship and acting more as a consultant too, right, for the hotelier and understand what the customer really wants and maybe start simply being there as a good contact instead of focusing too much on closing the deal in the first meeting. So the more important is that you have the information at hand from your partners, such as, for example, Encore or Great Hotels of the world as, um, as an entity that keeps themselves busy every day entirely with being up to date, what is going on in the meetings and events industry. And I mean, Christy, with data that you are providing, that's just giving you a solid base on mm -hmm. building the strategy, right? And if we look into the demand generation area and um, all the tools out there, I think there's so many more sessions we can discuss this. For now, I would say we should find an end somehow because I guess everyone yes. has a whole day. Um, yes. but it's I mean, it was many great um, like thoughts that were sparked, at least on my end. So thank you for that. And Rita, what would you say? 
Well, I, I think um, as just as a wrap up, clearly um, the data from Noland, especially the US data does point the way forward. Um, it's not all doom and gloom in Europe, but it is at a different level. I think the opportunities in the, in the areas that Christy uh, highlight are there in those sectors and we need to go out and get them. And I really think this hibernation period is, is over. We, we just have to get back and we have to get back in sales in a different way. We have to go out hunting again. Um, and that hunting can sometimes be very basic. <laughs> Picking up the phone. Whatever you need, that was brilliant, yes. <laughs> and, and on the other hand, we have the technology. Probably we, already, we had the technology. We hadn't made the shift in terms of our own way of working. Well, we have now, our clients have. And so, you know, it's not the big beast anymore. And our partners, um, we have the partners to make it happen. So it's really where there's a will, there's a way at the moment. I'm not pretending the business is all here, it's not. But there is a lot that we can do, so we just need to go out and do it. That's, I think, my main takeaway here. Um, and thank you so much uh, for, to everyone, Christy, Luke, and uh, Tech Talk Travel for putting this together. I think we've got lots to do, um, and we need, to, we, need to, we need to run our business. Right, we need to get back. So thank you and thank you for making this happen. Yeah, thank you guys. And especially also to everyone in the audience, thank you for tuning in and providing your questions and remarks. Um, I will make sure to scroll through them later on and um, yeah, think further upon the topic. And I can't wait to have this finally in person, hopefully um, soon. So Christy and yeah. Rita, thank you so much. Well, have a wonderful just day. Fine, I'll come to Europe. <laughs> 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 Let's create this thousand plus attendee event together, right? So, yes. Yes. what would you aim for? Q3? Uh, I'm good with that. Anywhere. I, I, well, I have a British passport as well. So, I technically could get there. I just have to quarantine for a little while, unlike my other American brethren who can't leave the country. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, thank you everyone. And for everyone who tuned in, you will find the session also on demand later on on all channels of Tech Talk Travel and Great Hotels of the World. And if you have questions or you want to deepen the, the discussion, please make sure to connect with Christy and Luke and also Rita to uh, continue the conversations. I am sure they will be delighted to answer further questions. So have a great day, everyone. And thank you so much for this. It was very much. Thank you. And we'll thank be back next month. <laughs> yes, we will be back. Thank you. Bye bye. 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 -bye. bye, -bye. Bye.